Good morning, Orchard Church. How are you? <laughs> Good. I love to hear that. Hey, turn with me in your Bible on your mobile devices to Proverbs 13.7. Proverbs 13.7. If you don't have a Bible or mobile device with you, that's okay. We're going to put the scriptures on screen in the New Living Translation version so you can follow along that way. So Pastor Doug is out today. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Ryan Dickinson. I am the executive pastor here at Orchard Church, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to week two of our series, The Elephant in the room. But before we get started, I have an announcement to make. Our student director, Ryan Singleton, his wife, Stephanie, welcomed a new addition to the family on Friday. That's Everly Ray Singleton. She's six pounds, six ounces, 19 inches, perfectly healthy. The Singleton family says, thank you for your prayers. Mom and baby are coming home today. So God is good. Amen. 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 So I was thinking uh, as preparing for this message, and, and I remember as a kid that my mom used to tell me all the time to act my age. How many, how many of your parents ever used to tell you that, act your age? Well, today we're not going to talk about acting our age, we're going to be talking about acting our wage. That's the title of our message today, is act your wage, and it's one of our values here at Orchard Church. You hear it every Sunday at the close of service. We're a church that wants to act our wage by what? By giving first, saving second, and living on the rest. Good job. So the elephant in the room this season is that as, for Orchard Church is that for the first time as a church, we're moving from renters to owners. And that's a very exciting thing, but with that comes some additional financial responsibilities. So we want to make sure we're looking ahead, that we're being good stewards. And so we have to have these conversations about financial stewardship. But I want to share something with you. Before I came on staff earlier this year, my family and I have been members of Orchard Church for a little over six years. So for five years, I sat where you sit. And I remember a couple of years ago when Pastor Doug started talking about buying land, I was skeptical, honestly, because I had been at other churches where building programs hadn't gone so well. They were either poorly planned or poorly executed, and they just never got finished. So I was a little bit skeptical when Pastor Doug started talking about buying land, but then I remember the Sunday that he, that he stood up here and said, hey, we're buying the 38 acres next door and we're paying cash. My wife, Sarah, elbowed me so hard, I think I still have the bruise in my ribs. She said, did he say that we're paying cash? I said, yeah, he said we're paying cash. And it was at, the, at that moment that I knew this building program was different than what I'd been involved with before. There was something different about the financial stewardship at Orchard Church that I hadn't experienced before. And I share that with you because, not because I want to try to brag on anybody, but I want you to understand that we're having these conversations not out of desperation. We're having these conversations out of determination. We are determined to use that facility to help as many people find and follow Jesus as possible. If you're with me, say amen. 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 So to the, be the best that we can be at that, we need to address the elephant in the room on a personal level, on an individual level, and that's the fact that most Americans just aren't very good at handling their personal finances. We struggle with acting our wage. And, and my hope today is that by the time you walk out of here, that you'll have a very clear understanding about how these two things can change your life. I'm gonna, going to attempt to prove to you that marshmallows are pleasing to God. Why wouldn't they be? They're delicious, right? And that this can of coffee can change your family's fortunes for generations to come. 
So if you're willing to let me try to prove that, say bring it on. Bring it on. All right, you asked for it. Here we go. Turn to Proverbs 13:7. Proverbs 13:7 says this. There are some who are poor who what? Pretend, Pretend to be rich. Right there in one line of scripture sums up the problem we generally have as Americans with our personal finances. We pretend that we make more money than we do. Pastor Doug said last week that the average American household spends 136% of what they bring in. So for every dollar we bring in, we send out $1.36. We pretend that we make more money than we do. We spend more than we make. There are three groups here in America. We've all heard of the haves and the have-nots, but there's a third group that I propose to you. They're the have-not-paid-for-what-we-gots. And we all have a lot of stuff and we all have a lot of debt. And you know what? I went through a season in my life where I was a financial pretender. It's right out of college. I went from making $8 an hour part-time to making $75,000 a year within a two-year span in my career. And I don't say that to, to brag. I say that because I'm about to tell you something about what I did wrong. Because if there's anything I've learned how to do right, it's because I first did it wrong. If you're with me, say yes. yes. And so this season in my life, I went from $8 an hour to $75,000 a year. I was a 24-year-old single male. I had no wife. I had no kids. I had no mortgage. Almost all of my income was disposable. And you're darn sure I treated it that way. Every single dollar went out before I even knew where it was. I was a 24-year-old unsaved male, and 24-year-old unsaved males spend a lot of money if they have access to it, and I did. And I'm not going to lie to you, it was fun for a while. Anybody that's been in that situation that tells you it wasn't any fun for at least a little bit, they're doing it wrong. It was fun. <laughs> But the problem is, is that as I continued to do that, as the, the debts kept mounting, and as the debts kept mounting, the, the stress kept mounting, and as the stress kept mounting, there was this general feeling in me of just uneasiness. I had no peace, ever. I was always concerned about the next paycheck and how quickly it was going to get here. If you've ever been there, raise your hand. Yeah, it's not just me. Hands everywhere. So... I met Jesus at 25 years old, and I would love to tell you that that just fixed everything financially for me. It didn't. I went through about a three-year period where my faith grew a lot, but my spending habits didn't change much. And so here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, and, and, and I believe these things, and I'm growing in my faith, and, and, but I'm still pretending financially. I'm pretending like I make more than I really do, and behind the scenes, I'm scrambling, trying to figure out how to shuffle the dollars around to where they make more, and the piles never get bigger when you do that. And so, you know, I'm praying to God, God, help, God, help, I need, I need you, I need help, and, and God calls me to start my own business and as, as, a, as an immature Christian, I'm like, praise God, he understands, he, I need more income. So he's calling me to start my own business. Man, it's going to be easy street from here. It was far from it. You see, God called me to start my own business in November of 2000. And roughly 10 months later, September 11th, 2001 happened. And as planes flew into the Twin Towers and caused, changed the course of our lives forever, there was tragedy and there was loss, but economically, on a practical level, everything ground to a halt. 
You see, I owned a small business, this fledgling business that I was trying to grow that was designed to help other small businesses grow, and nobody was worried about growing anymore. Everybody was worried about what's going to happen next. So not only did my income not increase, my income dried up completely. And it led to two very painful years in my life. But in those two very painful years, God reinforced three biblical values that I'm going to share with you today on how we act our wage. Now, I'm going to warn you, this is not prosperity gospel. These are three common sense values, but they aren't normal. They're not, because normal in America is broke, right? Normal in America is broke. These aren't normal, but they are effective. So the first one, and it's in your notes, that we need, the first value we need to embrace if we're going to act our wage is that we need to embrace the value of self Control. We're going to embrace the value of self-control. Proverbs 25, 28 says this. A person without what? Self-control is like a city with broken down walls. You see, in Bible times, a city with broken down walls was about the worst place you could be. A city with broken down walls had no protection against enemies. A city with broken down walls had no protection against advancing armies. Anybody could come in and pillage and plunder and take, and that's what happens to us financially if we have no self-control. We are vulnerable to financial attack. And I want to share something with you. It's not if a financial attack will happen. It is when, right? Our grandparents always talked about saving for a rainy day. Why? Because there's always a rainy day. It's going to happen. And if we lack self-control, we're going to be in big trouble when the rain starts falling. So I'm going to talk to some of us specifically here, because if I can talk to you specifically, hopefully we can help specifically. Ladies. Don't worry, man. Your turn's coming. (laughs) Ladies. I have observed, I have noticed that... Your self-control tends to bleed out nickels and dimes at a time. A particularly effective financial attack usually comes with the words attached 30% off. (laughs) That Kohl's coupon comes in the mail 30% off by next week. I didn't even know I needed anything, but we got to go. It happens, right, man? I I try to hide those things when they get in the mailbox. (laughs) Me too, someone says. (laughs) Men, we don't bleed it out nickels and dimes at a time. We kill it all at once, don't we? We don't mess around. Honey, look, I got a new truck. $40,000 sitting in the driveway that your wife had no idea what was about to happen. Ladies, am I right? It happens. We kill it all at once. So, the best way to save, the best way to start acting our wage is to not spend the money in the first place. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to teach you a new word today. Pastor Marcial, our Spanish pastor, every time he preaches in the English service, he teaches you a new word in Spanish. So I thought I'd try that. I'm going to teach you a new word in Spanish today. It just happens to mean exactly the same thing in English. And that word is no. Say it with me. No. Ladies, let's practice. When that 30% Kohl's coupon comes in the mail, do you have to use it? No. <laughs> Houston, we have a problem. Um, all right, men, let's see if we can do any better. Men, do we need the brand new $40,000 truck? 
That's a little better. I actually heard somebody, I think, say, well, does it come with the tow package? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Bottom line is we practice saying no. Why? And this is in your notes. Because if we can say no now, we can say yes later. If we say no now, we can say yes later. Scientists call this the ability to delay gratification. And in the 1960s, Stanford University undertook what became kind of a landmark study in the ability to have self-control and delay gratification. They brought in a few hundred four- to six-year-old children, and they set them individually in a room. And the test was this. They set a beautiful, delicious marshmallow in front of them and said, if you can hold off eating this marshmallow for 15 minutes, I will give you another marshmallow. And then they left the room. And it was, it was interesting because about a third of the kids, they didn't even try. They just gobbled the thing up as soon as the person <laughs> left the room. And some of us are like that. There was another third that that study notes say that, that they really tried. Man, they really tried not to eat that marshmallow. They recorded boys just kicking the table and kicking the desks, <laughs> girls pulling their pigtails. They recorded all these things. They said one girl picked up the marshmallow and began to pet it like a, <laughs> like a stuffed animal. But that third eventually succumbed before the 15 minutes was up, and they ate the marshmallow. But the, the last third, the last third were able to resist eating the marshmallow, so they got a second marshmallow. And you know what, that's interesting, but what's really more interesting is 20 years later, they checked back in with these groups of kids. And they discovered an extremely high correlation between the ability to get the second marshmallow when they were four to six years old and their SAT scores and their body mass index and their career happiness. They had more successful life outcomes by far than either of the other two groups. The ability to delay gratification was linked to successful life outcomes. Now, Stanford University undertook the study because they're trying to figure out where self-control comes from. Are kids just born with it? Are we just born with it? Is it something we can develop? Is it willpower? And you know what, as Christians, we know exactly where self-control comes from. Because if you read in Galatians 5, we're not going to go there, but if you read there, it lists the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the very last one is self-control. It says it's produced by the Holy Spirit in us. So it's not about willpower. It's more about our walk with the Lord. The closer we walk with the Lord, the better we're able to control self. If you're with me, say amen. 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 So we need to embrace the value of of self-control. The second thing we need to embrace is the value of sacrifice. We embrace this value of sacrifice. So if you're like I was and you lacked self-control in your, in your finances, you're most likely dealing with some level of debt at this point. Most American households are. And the way we deal with that debt is we have to embrace the value of sacrifice. Now, now I'm not talking Old Testament sacrifice, so don't go burn an animal on an altar because that's not going to help. I'm talking about sacrifice as we define it here at Orchard Church is we give up things we love for things we love even more. We give up things we love for things we love even more. We have to embrace the value of sacrifice. And the way we do that, Hebrews 12:2 says it this way. 
The way we do that, so the author of Hebrews is setting up how you run the race as a Christian, how you endure to the end, and he says to do it this way, that we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the what? The joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated at a place of, in the place of honor beside God's throne. We keep our eyes on Jesus. What was the joy awaiting Jesus? It was us. It was you. It was everybody that would ever come place their faith in him. The joy set before Jesus was that we would have eternal life because of his sacrifice. What's the joy awaiting us financially if we're to sacrifice? The joy awaiting us financially is peace. It's peace that we can sleep at night. The joy awaiting us financially is that we don't have to spend time in our marriage arguing about finances. The number one cause of divorce in America is financial stress. And unfortunately, it's just about the same in the church as it is outside the church. That's why we're having these kinds of conversations. The joy set before us financially is the ability to say yes later to things that I can say no to now. Things that I say no to things that I love so I can say yes to things that I love even more. You see, there's lots of things I love. Man, I love, I love loud things. I like, I like things that scare the kids, honestly. <laughs> I like power tools. I like pickup trucks. I like all those things. But you know what? There are things that I love. I love cable TV. I do. I like being, being able to watch movies and sporting events. But you know what I love even more? I love even more being able to pay off my credit card debt. I love even more Christmas that doesn't follow me until July, a debt-free Christmas. I love to eat out. I love, man, I would love to go to every single Bronco game that we have here uh, at whatever we call our stadium now. Mile high, right? I would love to be at every single one. You know what I love more? I love not having car payments even more. I love that flexibility. We give up things we love for things we love even more. The problem is, is on a personal financial level, we don't often filter our decisions through that filter of sacrifice. What we do instead is we... We, instead of saying, wow, do I have the money for it, and is it worth it, and, and, and is there something else I need to be worried about, we, said, we say instead, well, how much down and how much a month, right? We see if we can squeeze it in, because if I can make it fit in the monthly budget, then maybe I'll do it anyway. We've become a buy now, pay later society, instead of a save now, buy later society. And because of that, the average American household is about $16,000 in credit card debt. We buy now and we pay later. So, and this is in your notes, we, we embrace the value of, of sacrifice, but I want you to understand this, please. We're going to go through some numbers here, but I want you to please pay attention. Because if you do, if you apply these changes, if you apply these things, it will literally change your life. So if we have $16,000 in credit card debt and we only pay the minimum payment, now your notes say if you pay $400 a month, that's where your minimum payment starts, but it goes down from there. So I just want to clear that up so it's not confusing. If you pay only the minimum payment on $16,000 at 18% interest, it will take you 33 years to pay off that $16,000. And you will have paid back a total of $39,000 $422. That's what buy now, pay later gets us. But here's the good news. If we can flip the script, if we can go from buy now, pay later to save now, buy later, here's what happens. 
If we take that same $16,000 and instead of borrowing it and buying because we don't have it, we, we save and we scrimp and we save $16,000 and we invest it. And we invest it and we earn 8%, which is the average historical return for the stock market. We earn 8% on that money and we just let it ride for 33 years. We end up with $222,255. So instead of just getting back to zero because we bought now and paid later, we now have $222,000 because we let that $16,000 ride because we gave up something we loved for something we love even more called financial peace. If you're with me, say yes. But now let's get really crazy. Let's get really weird. Let's say we took that same $16,000, we invested it at 8%, but now instead of paying somebody else $400 a month or, or approximately $400 a month, we're going to pay ourselves $400 a month and we're gonna add it to that. If we take that 16,000 and we pay $400 a month to ourselves and invest it, at the end of 33 years, we end up with $995,713. I want you to get this. It's a million dollar difference between buy now, pay later, and, and save now, and buy later. We invest now so we can buy later. We say no now so we can say yes later. If you're with me, say yes. yes. So $995,713 is a lot of marshmallows. It's a lot of marshmallows. Who do you think has more financial peace? The person that just got back to zero after 33 years or the person that's sitting there with $995,000? The person that has $995,000. It's not about the money. It's about being flexible and being, being able to do the things God calls us to do to where we're not enslaved to our money, but instead our money is a tool that we use to serve God. And the person that's in the better position is the one that didn't pretend. It's the one that acted their wage. It's the one that didn't say, well, yeah, I don't have $16,000, but I'm going to do things like I do. It's the one that didn't pretend. That's the value of self-control. That's the value of sacrifice. That's a million dollar difference. So we need to embrace the value of self-control. We need to embrace the value of sacrifice. The third thing we need to embrace is the value of planning. Planning. Proverbs 21.5 says it this way. That good what? Planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Raise your hand if you prefer prosperity to poverty. Amen. Amen. What's the difference? Good planning and hard work. The difference between prosperity and poverty. So we need to plan and we need a good financial plan. And unfortunately, Americans aren't real good at putting together a financial plan. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. But this is in your notes. We need a financial plan because if we don't tell our money where to go, we'll wonder where it went. If we don't tell our money where to go, we'll wonder where it went. You see, I've met a lot of people who accidentally got in debt, got in debt without thinking about it. I have never met one person who accidentally got out of debt, ever. Hey, honey, I'm driving home and accidentally got us out of debt. It just doesn't happen. We need a plan. We have to be intentional. There's a B word that describes a financial plan, and no, it's not that one. It's a budget. It's a budget. A budget is a plan for your dollars, every single dollars on paper and on purpose. 
a budget. We need to budget. We need to tell our money where to go or we'll wonder where it went. Jesus says this in Luke 14, 28. But don't begin until you count the what? Cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Now imagine, it's a great object lesson right now. Imagine that I were standing here on this stage today and next door was a steel skeleton instead of a finished building. Imagine that. And imagine I'm up here saying, hey, you know what, guys? Uh, we started this and turns out we didn't understand how much it was going to cost. And so now I, I need to come up here and I need to ask you for a few million more dollars because we, we, we got to finish that building. If that were the case, I would tell you to leave this church. I would tell you to find another church. That's not the case. The case is this. We had a plan. We had a budget. Every dollar on paper, on purpose. Instead of a steel skeleton, we have a complete building over there that we'll move into in a few weeks. If that gets you excited, let's celebrate. But unfortunately, most Americans do the first thing. Well, I think I'll just give that a try, and they don't count the cost. We don't count what it costs us to put $16,000 on a credit card. We don't. Now, it's not just the $39,000 you pay off in debt. It's the opportunity cost that you have to not have a million dollars sitting there in 33 years. We don't count that cost, and we need to. We've got to have a plan. So I implore you, if you don't have a budget, develop a budget. If you don't know how to develop a budget, there are a million resources out there online. You can go to DaveRamsey.com. You can go to Mint.com. There's all kinds of apps, things you can download to your phone that will help you track every single dollar and tell it where to go. One other resource we have is we have small groups here at Orchard Church that have Financial Peace University every single semester. Our, our classes are going on right now, but they open back up again in January. You might be sitting in your seat right now going, I need help with this. I need help to budget. I need help to get out of debt. I am going to enroll in one of those classes come January. You need to make that decision now as you sit there. But a couple of things that I want to go over that's in Financial Peace University. There are seven baby steps in Financial Peace University. We're going to go over the first two today. And I'm going to go ahead and do that free of charge. Okay? No extra cost. But, you know, we're having a little bit of fun. But I, I want you to understand these things will change your life if you will do them. They will change your life if you will do them. So this is in your notes. Baby step number one is this. Save $1,000 for emergencies. Save $1,000 cash for emergencies. Now, I may have lost some of you right there. Like, man, if I could save $1,000, I wouldn't be in trouble. Let me put it this way. If you had a loved one and they came to you and said, you know, look, I have a, I have a disease that really affects the quality of my life and I don't, I don't have any money. In fact, if I don't treat this, I could die. The medicine's $1,000 and I just don't have the money, can you help me? Would you find a way to come up with $1,000? Of course you would, of course you would. We need to treat our finances the same way because most Americans' finances are on life support. We're barely getting by. We put Band-Aids on it, but we never cure them. This is a way to cure them. We save $1,000 for emergencies so we can stop going into debt when emergencies happen. Now, how do you save the $1,000? Man, it might be a part-time job. You might deliver your way into it. You deliver pizzas, you deliver papers, whatever it takes. Craigslist, eBay might become your best friend. You'll sell so many things, the kids will get nervous. 
You sell the pets, or at least the cats, not the dogs. Oh, come on. Got to have one in every message, right? You'll sell, and, you, and you'll build up $1,000. I don't know exactly how you're going to do it, but you can do it. You can find a way if you want to make a change. So baby step number one is we save $1,000. Baby step number two is this. We do the debt snowball. The debt snowball. The debt snowball was, was invented by Dave Ramsey, and it's a way to pay uh, our debt faster and be able to have more money to be able to invest. We're going to go through it here in, in, at, as, we, as we look at it here. Here's a typical list of household debts. It's every one of your debts except your mortgage. You list them from lowest amount to highest amount. Now, oftentimes we get that backwards. You say, well, shouldn't, shouldn't we do the math and, and do highest interest rate first to, to lowest interest rate? Look, if we could do math, we wouldn't be in credit card debt, right? <laughs> this is about behavior more than it's about mathematics. So let's take a look. We have, we have all of our debts. We have Lowe's because we bought power tools. We have Target because we bought clothes and groceries. We have the bank of mom and dad, and they're really nice. They're not charging us any interest there, but we borrowed $1,600 from them. We have Visa. We have a car payment. We have student loans, some pretty typical household debts. If we only paid the minimum payment that you see in the right column, it would take 120 months or 10 years to pay all of those off. We're going to find a better way to do that, and it's called the debt snowball. We're going to list all of our debts, small to large. So the first thing we're going to do when we do the debt snowball is we're going to find $200 more a month to apply to our debt. And again, you might say, well, if I had $200 more a month, I wouldn't be in debt. The bottom line is $200 a month we can find. If you're one of these families who like to drink Starbucks a lot, I want to introduce you to your new best friend. <laughs> Kroger Premium Blend. It's rich and balanced, by the way. What it should say is, Kroger Premium Blend, when finances matter more than flavor. I'm not going to lie to you, this is not good coffee. But it is coffee. And what I love about Kroger Premium Blend is it makes 225 cups of coffee for $5.99. Come on. So, a 16-ounce serving. You ready for this, Starbucks fans? A 16-ounce serving of Kroger Premium Blend costs you six cents. A 16-ounce at Starbucks costs you about $4. If you're doing this once a day, twice a day even, here's your $200 a month, all right? And this $200 a month, you're gonna find out here in a second, this can of coffee can change your family's fortunes for generations to come. You will learn to like it, I promise, <laughs> I promise. So, we take our $200 that we found because we're now extreme Kroger Premium Blend fans, and we apply that to our Lowe's debt that was a minimum payment of $50. We now, now apply our $200. We have $250 to apply to Lowe's, and within two months, Lowe's is gone. So now here's where the snowball starts to happen. That $250 that we were applying to Lowe's, we can now apply to Target. We add that to the $30 we were applying uh, to target anyway as a minimum payment. Now we have $280 to bring to bear on that debt, and within three months, that debt is gone. 
and we do this so on and so forth. Now we have a bigger snowball that we can apply to the bank of mom and dad. We were paying them $200. We can now pay them $480 a month. And within just a few months, that debt is gone too. And that snowball keeps getting bigger until finally at the end, we have $1,110 that we're bringing to bear on our student loan debt that you thought was going to last forever. But all of this is gone within 21 months when we do the debt snowball this way. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's exciting. 21 months. So 120 months minus 20 months or 21 months is 99 months. Here's where it gets really, really crazy. We paid off that debt 99 months earlier and that we're in the habit of applying $1,110 to our debt. If we continue to do that for the remaining 99 months, but instead of applying it to the debt, we pay it to ourselves and we invest, we end up with $153,000, almost $154,000 by the end of those 99 months. Come on. $154,000. So now I'm not just getting out of debt, I'm investing. And you know what $154,000 will pay for? It'll pay for your kid's college. It'll pay off the house in a lot of cases. It will literally change your family tree, your family fortunes for years to come. If we just flip the script and instead of Starbucks, we get really acquainted with cheap coffee. We act our wage with self-control, with sacrifice, with planning, with taking baby steps, and the results are dramatic. You can get more information on how to do this at DaveRamsey.com. He's got, he teaches it a lot better than I do, I promise. And so if you want more details, go ahead and take a look there. But as we close out today, I want to address these marshmallows a little bit better because I promised you at the beginning that I would prove to you that God, or that Marshmallows are pleasing to God. I want to show it to you this way. You know, they've done this marshmallow study. It started at Stanford in the 60s, but they've done it in various universities um, all across the country in the decades since. And one of the things that they found, somewhat unexpectedly to them, but not too surprising to us, I think, is that one of the key correlations of whether or not a child could resist the single marshmallow and get the second marshmallow was their relationship to the person administering the test. If they knew the person administering the test, if they trusted the person administering the test, they were far more likely to be able to resist the first marshmallow because they had confidence that the second one would come after 15 minutes. If it was a stranger, somebody they didn't know, or even worse, somebody that had intentionally done something to make them upset, before the test, their chances of resisting that first marshmallow fell to almost zero and they just ate it immediately. Now, why is that important? That's important because they discovered that the correlation with this marshmallow was whether or not the kid trusted the person giving the reward. And the Bible says that if we're going to come to God, we have to believe that He exists. And we have to believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So when I do those two things, when I believe that he is who he says he is, and I believe that he will do what he says he will do, that's called faith. And the Bible tells us that it's impossible to please God 
without faith. So I'm going to submit to you that this uneaten marshmallow represents my ability to have faith in God and to trust in the one who rewards me. And in that way, this uneaten marshmallow pleases God. It's about whether or not I trust in the one that will reward me. I believe that the way we handle our money is a direct reflection on how we feel about the one who rewards us. Are we able to embrace self-control? Are we able to embrace sacrifice? Are we able to be intentional with planning and say no to good things now so we can say yes to the best things later? We say no now so we can say yes later because God has the best things for us. And if I try to fill the hole in my life with materialism, if I try to fill the hole in my life with shiny things and loud things, those will never fit the God-shaped hole that's in my heart. Only God can do that. So if I'm looking for fulfillment in other places, I'm not going to find them. Do I trust the rewarder or do I not trust the rewarder? Pastor Doug will talk about this more next week. But to get out of debt and to act our wage, we need God's help. We can't do it on our own. We need his blessing on us and in our finances. How we handle our money says a lot about our level of trust in God. When we trust him, he blesses. So I don't want you to miss that next week. But for now, can we just bow our heads in an attitude of prayer? If you're here today and you know that the way you've handled your finances uh, don't reflect a trust in God, I have trouble sacrificing. I have trouble having self-control. I have trouble coming up with a plan. If that's you and you're in this room today, I would love the opportunity to pray for you. So I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand all across this auditorium. Nobody's looking around except me. Thank you for your courage. There's hands everywhere. Hands everywhere. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these have asked for your help, for your guidance, for your strength, for your courage to be able to make the choices that require self-control and sacrifice and planning. They've asked that you would pull alongside them and help them. And Lord, we know that you are faithful. You are the one who rewards and we trust in you. So I ask, Lord, that you would give these the courage to make the decisions that are necessary to act our wage, to be able to use our finances, not in place of you, Lord, but as a tool to be able to serve you. I ask, Lord, that you would continue to reveal to them that they would be fired up about taking the next step to bring the finances in order and in line with your promises. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. With every head still bowed and eyes still closed, if you're here today and you're exploring the faith, you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus yet, number one, we're glad you're here. But number two, I want you to hear this before you leave today. Every single one of us has one debt. The Bible says every single one of us has one debt that only Jesus Christ can pay. And that's our sin debt. The Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death. So each of us is born with a sin debt and a death sentence. But the good news is this, that Jesus Christ, Son of God, came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins to pay that sin debt, and rose again to give us eternal life. If you're here today and you've never made that decision to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and to allow him to pay your sin debt, I want to give you that opportunity. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I would ask that you would just follow along in your heart if you want to make that decision. 
There's not magic words or magic combination of things that happen in this prayer. It's simply the faith in your heart that goes behind it. So follow along in your heart. Father, I need a Savior. I need Jesus. I have a sin debt that I cannot pay. So I ask that Jesus would be my Lord and my Savior, that you'd forgive me of my sin, and that you would grant me eternal life as your child. With every head bowed, eyes still closed, if you prayed that prayer just now, I'd love the opportunity to pray with you before you leave today. So nobody's looking around except me. If you made that decision to accept Christ today, would you just raise up your hand all across this auditorium? Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, young person right here. Go ahead, lift them up nice and high. Thank you, ma'am. I see you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray for these. Father, I thank you for these who have made decisions for you, that these who have joined the family of God. I thank you that you've erased their sin debt, that you've forgiven their sin, and that you welcome into the family as children of God. Lord, we give you praise and honor and glory for that. And we say in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's celebrate those salvations today. That's exciting. We're so happy for you. If you just made that prayer, we want to help you take your next step. And so as you came in today, in your newsletter, there's a connection card. If you would just take some time to fill out some basic information and check on the back that you said yes to Jesus, we want to help you take your next step. We want to help you walk alongside of you as you enter into this relationship with him and how we can help you. Also, on that news, in that newsletter, on the connection card, if this is your first time with us. If you haven't already done so, take some time to fill that out right now. Just some basic information. Let us know that you are here. We want to make sure we do our best as your host to follow up with you. Make sure that we have uh, any question that any question that you have, we can answer for you. We'll follow up. Just drop that off in the bucket here in just a moment as we receive an offering. And as we receive that offering, we don't expect you to give today. We just want to get to know you. We don't want your money. We want to get to know you. And so as we worship through giving, through our tithes and our offerings, as we worship through singing, the ushers are going to come forward to receive that offering. If you'd like to talk with Ryan after the service, he'll be out by the blue tent in the courtyard. I'm going to invite us all to stand right now and let's continue with an attitude of worship to give and sing together.